Novel. Okay, here we go. So we are recording. Let's go live. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Recovery Scene. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you have any questions for our speaker tonight or for me, put them in the comments. And when you subscribe, make sure you put I subscribed in the comments so we can interact with you and thank you personally. So tonight, if any of you are on TikTok and follow, um, I was going to say the recovery scene. I don't mean us. I mean the recovery scene on TikTok, the recovery community there. You've probably seen the Auntie Shar. It's hard to miss her. She's kind of awesome. And uh, AKA Jamie Hatfield. So she is here to tell us her story of addiction to recovery. And I'm pretty excited to hear it. So I am going to let you take over, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here. This is so Thank cool. Thank you for having me. I know I'm excited. Um, it's been a minute since I told my story. But um, yeah, so I was born in Las Vegas, um, at Sin City, you know, and um, I grew up pretty, you know, good, normal childhood. Um, my mom was an alcoholic, but she was a single mom. So, she, you know, I just thought that that's what was normal. Everyone drank in Vegas. It wasn't anything you know, weird. And, um, I, my dad left, I knew he was a drug addict. I didn't really know to the extent. And, um, so I, I mean, I just grew up around it. Uh, I have an older sister who also, I knew she was on drugs and that's why she wasn't around. Um, and then I have a little sister. So me and my little sister just grew up watching my mom drink. And, um, I went to like private school my whole life. And then when I went into middle school, I went changed middle schools and went to like a religious middle school. And there is where I found drugs. Like I didn't even start drinking first. I, I started smoking weed. And then, I mean, I was, my friend's older brother, we were selling meth for him at this private school when I was 12 years old. Oh, wow. I thought, yeah. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was normal. Like I really didn't even like think that was a problem. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about drugs. I just, I mean, you know, you learn in dare when like kindergarten, but you don't really like know. And so I just thought it was something fun to do. Right. And not to mention, I mean, if in your family, it's just kind of no, it's how things are. Yeah. So, so if you go to school, it's how things are. It doesn't seem so weird. Like this is just what life is. Yeah. This is like this life. All right, let's do it. You know. So I was um, we we, we like we were taking acid. I mean, twelve years old, and then um, I I don't know. I I stopped talking to that girl. She got sent away from the drugs. And I got put into private, or I mean, public school. And that's when like, I just started partying. It was just drinking, you know, nonstop. Uh, my mom was drunk all the time, so it didn't matter. I mean, we were having parties at my house. And and I mean, throughout high school, I did, you know, recreational drugs. I didn't really get addicted to any drugs. Drinking, definitely. I was definitely an alcoholic by the time I was 15. But, um, you know, I did meth occasionally on the weekends, cocaine, ecstasy, and acid. But I didn't really, I didn't think it was a problem. It was the party scene that's what every, every kid in Vegas that I was hanging out with was doing so it was so normal to me and um we were having fun you know it didn't it didn't cause any destruction in my life that I could see happening um I got out of high school and I went started dancing right away I started I became a dancer my older sister um I knew she was like a hooker but I didn't like really understand it um we didn't have a really good relationship and so i started significantly is she significantly older than you she's 14 years older than me okay okay yeah. and, you know it's funny because you had said that you went to a private school you went to a religious school 
you can go, you can be homeschooled, you can go to religious school, you can go to private school, you can go to charter school, you can go yeah. to public school. Drugs will find you. There is yeah. no <laughs> Yeah, no, they will. And I started in the religious school. That was the crazy part. Like my mom's like, oh, we're going to put you in the school. It's good. And I'm like, okay. You know, and then like the girl comes in and she's like, and it was my best friend. Her name was Jamie too. And like, we just like clicked. And then she introduced me to it. And I'm like, yes, this is what I like. Like partying, we can stay up all night. Like, let's do it. You know? Right. And then my mom, my mom wanted me to stay in that school. And I'm like, no, I don't want to stay in that school. I want to go to public school. And I went to public school and it like, there were more drugs in the religious school, quite honestly, there was more drugs. In the, I mean, it was more partying in the, in the public school, but I mean, I was like selling meth for, for a 16 year old boy at 12, like, right. right. So you're the plug at 12. I mean, that's yes. like, that's not it. like my son's 11 and I'm like, Oh, now you've got a basis for comparison. Yes, I'm like I was that little, and I'm fucking sitting there giving people acid and meth and school. Fuck, dude, that's crazy to me. But it's just the way it went down, I guess. So yeah, uh, I so when I started dancing, um, like it, I started using meth again, really heavily, like um, just to stay awake to do the work, the overnight shifts, and. I didn't work in an alcohol club, so there was no alcohol around. So it was more, I started doing meth and then, you know, I was in and out of relationships. I mean, just, it was just nonstop guys, you know, sex addiction, drug addiction. And then I went, when I heard, turned 21 and I went to a, 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 a alcohol club and then I just, it was over from there. I was a complete alcoholic and I, I met my kid's father in the strip club. Um, and he, got me pregnant we weren't even like really together and I he wanted me to settle down and I told him I said I'm not ready to settle down and he he we had an abortion and my dumb ass got drunk and slept with him two weeks after I had the abortion and he came in me and said guess what you're having a baby now and I literally was like oh all right well I guess we're having a baby so um I got pregnant and it was not wanted but you know it was it was done what's done is done i'm not gonna you know give it up for adoption i couldn't do that just not me and so um i had the baby and as soon as i had him i was completely overwhelmed postpartum i went back to dancing right away because my my ex was you know he was going to school or something he wasn't working so i went back to dancing right away went straight into postpartum and they uh, prescribed me what roxy's i think for my back pain you know because yeah, it was like, what well, was Norco's? And then it went up to Roxy's. And so then I'm, you know, working and sm I'm smoking Roxy's because, you know, it's better than t taking them because <laughs> God knows why it hits you faster, I guess. I don't even remember, but I started smoking the Roxy's and then one day I couldn't find them. You know, one day I couldn't find them and my Roxy dealer was like, I don't have Roxy, but I have heroin. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'm like, will it make me not sick? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's do it. So, um, my baby was about six months old and I started smoking heroin. I was caught shortly after by my family. Uh, my baby, I went to rehab for the first time when my baby was 10 months, but I wasn't ready to quit. I, I didn't even, I didn't even think, I don't even think I started my addiction. You know, it was so new. And um, I went for two weeks and I left and then kept using. Um, I was 25 at this point. And then next year, or I, two years later, um, got caught using again by my family. I'd stolen from, everyone in my family, you know, robbed everybody, stolen from my kid's dad um, to, you know, feed my habit. I uh, went back to rehab at Salvation Army and voluntarily went in and they 
my baby's father filed uh, custody paper. He, he broke up with me when I was in rehab and filed the papers for custody for my, of my child. And that sent me over the edge. So of course I left rehab and got high because I couldn't. Right. I right. Because it, it's like, I tell people all the time, you know, it's, it's a bad one, but it, it goes from being fun. It starts as fun and it ends up being a coping skill. Yeah. Yeah. I ha I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm making all the excuses like, well, I can't get to court, you know, if I'm in rehab and making all these excuses why I need to leave rehab when in all actuality, I just wanted to get high. So I didn't deal with what was going on. Cause I was going right. to lose my child. I knew I was going to lose my child. I, there was no getting around it. So I left rehab and, um, I went to court and I couldn't pass drug test and they gave my baby's father, um, full physical custody. And, um, they gave me visitation and I had like a couple months to prove that I was a fit mom and I couldn't stop getting high. So I disappeared. I, I said, I can't do it. I can't pass a drug test. So I didn't go back to court for him. And that was, um, he was three. So that was eight years ago. Right. So now people are going to come at you and they're going to say things like you chose what, how could you choose drugs over your child? I want you to explain a little bit about whether or not that was a choice for you. No, absolutely not. At that point, I was so heavily addicted that, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a choice at all. If I could have chose to, you know, not do heroin and be with my kid, I would have, I couldn't pass a drug test. I tried to stop for those three days and I was so, my, my, I, they say, um, I'm going to school for drug and alcohol counseling now. So they say like your, your brain, it's like fight or flight. Like you really go into like, um, it's just, I don't know, something about the input, it goes into like, I don't know what, what it is exactly, but it's, it's not a choice anymore. Your brain actually needs it. It like, it, it craves it higher than anything, even like, you know, food, shelter. Mm -hmm. It's, that's the, your, your number one necessity. Like your body really, and mind really think that you need this to survive, you know? And um, that's what, and it really, it did. It was like, it wasn't a choice. Like I would have done anything to quit for those three days to just pass the damn drug test. And I could not stop. And it was the worst feeling in the world to know you can't stop using something because of your baby. And at this point, you know, I tried rehabs twice and it didn't work. So I wasn't trying, you know, like I wasn't trying to go back. I, I, I didn't think anything was going to work. I just, I gave, had given up at that point. It was nothing's going to save me. This is what I'm supposed to be for the rest of my life. I'm just going to die a junkie. And and that was it. And, and at least my baby will be safe. You know, at least he has his dad's, his dad's a great father. The things he's done to me are not right, but his dad's a great father. And I knew my baby would be safe. And I just said, you know, I can't do it anymore. And I, that's when I went over the edge and I just completely lost it. Um, I didn't care anymore at that point. Um, I, my life was just, I, I, I went to, I was, I started um, selling, not selling, but I started trans transferring pounds of heroin across the Mexican border into, and brought it to Vegas. Dang. Um, yeah, for the cartel, I was working for them. I got caught, me and my older sister, I got reconnected with my older sister, who was also a heroin addict, because now we have something in common. Bonding. And, <laughs> yeah, I moved in with our dad, who was a, a meth addict. So, you know, now now I'm like, oh, well, I have, at least I have some family back. You know, and I'm holding on to this family for dear life, because I've lost my mom and my son and everything else. So I'm holding on to this family. And um, I ended up going to Mexico with my sister and bringing two and a half pounds back and getting caught at the border and I I fucking oh my god dude I remember the feds picked us 
that. I think I would have actually pooped in my pants. I, I was lying. I'm, I'm, I'm lying to the guys because they're like interviewing me and I'm lying and I'm like, nope, we got kidnapped. Some Mexican shoved it in my coochie. I don't know. We got kidnapped. He told me if I didn't do it, he's going to kill me. And my sister's over there spilling her guts. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, are you, and this is the first time I've been arrested. So I'm like, okay, this is like, how do I know not to talk? And you're sitting there, and they're like, your sister's telling us everything. I'm like, Fuck. all right, great. Well, come to find out the feds can't detox you medically because federal holding isn't um, equipped for mm -hmm. medical detox. So we told them we were on Xanax, alcohol. We told them we were on everything because we wanted the good drugs, you know? So we wanted the okay. good drugs in jail. So they said, we can't medically detox you guys. So they took us to the county jail and dropped our charges. So we didn't get charged with trafficking, wow. which is a godsend because we had two and a half pounds. Everyone comes at me. They're like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You guys snitched. No, they couldn't medically detox us. That's the only reason why we got out of it. And it um, went to jail, bonded out, and then... Um, we came back for court high. The judge was even going to give us just probation, but we came back high and he was like, you guys haven't learned anything. So he put us in jail for like 45 days and then did a court order re rehab. Mm -hmm. And I stayed through the rehab and then um, my sister completed her rehab and my sister went on to do really well. She stayed clean for a number of years and was actually mad at me because as soon as I got out of that rehab, I, I, I took off. I got pregnant um, by a guy that I was working with and he was a heroin addict and I started using with him. And then, so now I'm homeless on the streets of San Diego, pregnant, the guy doesn't believe it's his, you know, cause he's strung out, doesn't want to take responsibility. And I'm walking the streets of San Diego, like literally just prostituting myself, doing whatever I could take just to get high. And I didn't want the baby cause I didn't know what I was gonna do. So I'm just like using, just trying, I'm, I, I'm like, just absolutely like, I, I can't even take care of my one baby. I'm not trying to like have another one, but I couldn't afford an abortion and, um. I remember I finally like got some a clear head and was like, you know what, I'm gonna try and save this. And I went to every rehab in San Diego, Oceanside, East North County, all of it. And no one would take me because I was pregnant. That's something I want to fucking change. No one would take me because I was pregnant. They could that not. That makes no sense. You yeah. think that you would be the first one that they would take yeah. you? Yeah, they, no one would take me. And so two days later I got arrested and I was withdrawing and, um, the cops were like, I was I had probation warrant from not finishing that rehab. Mm -hmm. So two days later, the um, cops pull me over and they see I'm pregnant. They see I'm a drug addict. They're like, well, let's get you some help. Let's get you in jail. The jail will help you. And I'm like, I start cramping and I'm like, I'm cramping and I'm withdrawing. I need to go to the hospital. And they're like, well, we'll just take you when you get to um, the jail. You know, the jail nurse will take care of you. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like I'm really cramping. And um, so they're like, it's all right. We'll get you some water at the station. They had to go pick up my warrant paperwork. So we go to the station. They, I'm in locked in the back of the cop car by myself and it, the baby comes out. And I'm in the back, handcuffed, in the back of the cop car, banging on the thing. They're not paying attention. They think I'm just, you know, throwing a fit because I'm mad I'm arrested. And they left me in there for 30 minutes. And um, they finally come out. And I remember the cop opening the door looking down because I'm wearing a white dress so I'm red bright red blood everywhere and I'm like sit trying to sit like not sit on the thing you know the baby and it was it was horrible I was just like this like and he looks down and he goes I don't know what to fucking do right now I said well how about you call a fucking ambulance or something and, he, oh and he's God, like I hope you sued the hell out of them. I could I missed the statute of limitations oh. two years oh. for a wrongful death and it was five years ago Oh my God, trust me. I wanted to sue the hospital. Oh, I wanted to sue the police department, everything. They even had an in, uh, investigator come ask me if like the cops manhandled me. And I said, no, they didn't, but they did leave me in the back of the cop car for 
you know, a half hour. And so they sent me to the hospital. They said, we're not even going to arrest you tonight. We're just going to reinstate your warrant in a couple of days because we don't know what to do. We feel bad. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I went to the hospital. Hospital treated me completely like I was a fucking piece of shit. And I understand. I, 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 I was, you know, I get that. I know what I did to my baby. I know what I did to me. And, and, and um, I've come to, you know, uh, understand that. And I think it was a godsend, quite frankly, because I, I, I couldn't have handled it. Um, I'm glad I didn't have to put that baby through the same thing I put my son through. Let's just put it that way. And um, it, I went to the hospital and the, the late, the nurse looked at me and said, do you want to hold your baby? Oh, he's dead. And like, literally like just so me they knew that I had lost him because I was an addict and and just treated me like complete shit they didn't give me any pain pills I had to go through the afterbirth with nothing um they they left they de de discharged me 12 hours later made me walk out of the hospital in the same bloody dress that I came in and and they didn't even like push you out you know how they're like supposed to like wheel you out when you get discharged from a hospital especially after you have a baby they made me walk out I fainted in the hallway and the nurses looked at me and laughed it was the most horrific experience in my entire life. I swear to God, that thing, like, I wish I would have sued him, but I was just too fucked up the last five years to sit down and, and get with a lawyer. I looked up the statute of limitations last year when I got out of prison and it was wrongful death is a two-year statute of limitations in California. Mm. So yeah, tried, wish I would, I wish I could have, because I mean, not even the police officers, but the damn hospital, the way that they treat addicts nowadays is insane. Like, you know, like, I just couldn't believe it. So it was, um. I kept, of course I kept using, you know, I wasn't going to, that, that set me even farther, you know, over the right. edge. I was like, fuck this. Like if this is life, I don't want it. I right. don't want yeah. any part uh, of it. Uh, I've been absolutely, you know, okay. Yes. What happened to that child was awful and it was wrong. And, right. you know, I can understand them being like this woman cared more about her drugs than this baby and she inevitably killed this child but the thing is nobody is beyond redemption nobody is beyond and i don't mean that just in like a christian fashion i mean you know there's a soul in there there's a right. human being and this human being no mother and and i know i've said this before there are parents there are people out there that should, should not be parents they're horrible they're abusive they're just nasty people but no mother who has a soul and is you know has the feelings of a mother would in her right mind ever be okay with that happening to a child no and there's no understanding that this person is in the grip of a disease they're not in their right mind they're in the grip of drugs they're in the grip of an addiction you know and you can either treat them like shit and stick them back out on the street or you could maybe do something to stop Help them from maybe? happening I mean, again you know you know and they yeah, they even said like, oh, well, we'll get you on some methadone or something. Like they were like, try, they said when they, when it first happened, but then by the time they discharged me, I don't know if it was like different staff or whatever, but they were just like, all right, bye, see ya. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm homeless. Like, I don't even have anywhere to go. I don't have anyone to call. What do you mean? Like, they're like, it's our fault. I'm like, like, I mean, you would think like after someone just suffered something through something like that, I mean, it's not, I understand what happened. I understand that it was my fault, but I mean, I, I also understand I was have a fucking disease and you know, it was just, I don't know, the way they treated me was absolutely crazy to me. Even now, now I'm sober and I look back on it at first, you know, I was like, oh, maybe it was just, you know, 
if I was sober, I'd feel differently. No, like nobody should ever get treated like that. I don't care. I don't care what's going on. You know, like the way it happened, it was just, it was a sad situation. Um, so, I mean, at that point I didn't care anymore. At that point I was just like, this is, you know, I just remember seeing his little face. He has had his dad's nose. His dad tried to deny him. And it was so funny because I was five months pregnant. It was a baby. I mean, mm-hmm. and, um, and the one thing I do wonder is if, um, if they had got me to the hospital, if they could have saved him because yeah. he was 22 weeks. So I know it's pretty early, but I, who knows? We don't know if he came out breathing. We don't know. Cause they didn't, cause they weren't there. You know, they didn't let put me to the hospital. So that's why it's like, that's the only thing that I kind of, but you know, like I, I believe fully believe everything happens for a reason. And I'm here to tell my story and hopefully get some laws changed in the process or get some like help into hospitals or some more resources for rehabs because you know, I don't know even know if I would have gone at that point though because after I realized I had you know done that to my child it was pretty much like this is just I'm done you know like I don't what is there's nothing to live for I've lost two babies now and I'm just I'm all right you know and so after that I I stay I was in and out of jail in California just committing felony after felony just being running amok and I always kept getting let out. They put me in drug court. I ran. They pulled. They catch me a month later. I'd get put back in drug court, and then I'd run. I would never show up for these places. I don't understand why California did not want to put me like in prison, but they didn't. They would always let me out, and I'm just like, all right, well, if you're letting me out, I'm going. Right. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm not gonna sit here like go to this drug court. No way. If you're not gonna you know do anything about it, and so um, I actually came back to Vegas because my dad. I heard he was um my sister was doing really well and my dad was not, and I wasn't. So I heard my dad was out here alone out to in Vegas. So I came back out to live with him and I came to his house and he had like a trap house going and I'm like, Oh God, dad, like, okay. Like, you know, I'll help you with this. And of course, you know, we fed each other's addictions. You know, he would yell at me for doing heroin, but then ask me to buy a meth and give me $20 for, to get me well, because he needed meth. So it was a toxic, toxic, you know, relationship, but mm-hmm. I mean, I am glad I did get to spend those years with him though. Cause um, we weren't close in my childhood cause he was gone. But so, um, yeah, I got caught, uh, the, I was doing a lot of mail fraud, you know, taking people's mail and using their info. And I got caught out in Vegas for, um, I don't some fraud charge and there was a felony and, um, they put me on probation out here. And, um, I ran, of course, because I thought California does it. I can do it here. You know, fuck it. They're not going to catch me. And I ended up going out back out to California and was on the run for three years. I was living in storage units. I was living in tents. I was living on the train track. I was living doing anything and everything to get heroin, you know, um, just running amok and not caring. And um, I went to a small town in California and of course, you know, the small town cops know all the drug addicts. And I was used to Vegas where nobody, no, the cops don't know you by name at all. Even if you're highly known, they don't know you. There's so many people. Mm-hmm. And so the cops got to know who I was real quick. And um, I was using a fake name and they cops were running around town looking for me with this fake name. And um, I don't know what happened, but I think uh, Vegas called them in, called, found out where I was staying in what town and called that they were looking for me because I've been on the run for three years. And um, they came, pulled me over and I tried, I gave them my fake name and they're like, that's not you. And then I walked over to their car and my fucking mugshot from Vegas was in there. And I was like, so I booked it. I'm like, no, hell no. <laughs> and I run right into trash cans. Oh, stupidest thing in the world. 
run right into the trash cans. I have like three big ass cops tackling me and I'm five, three, hundred pounds, you know, like. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think I'm gonna get away from these guys. I'm so loaded, like not even like, and it was just a mess. And so they extradited me back to Vegas and sent me to prison for the first time. And I did, uh, I already had four months under my belt in jail. So they gave me a year sentence, a one to three, which is um, you do seven months. So I went to prison for three months and I got out and I'm like, fuck this, I'm gonna get high. The minute I got out, you know, like, nope, not doing this. Just, I, I don't, I could not think of anything other than getting high. Nothing else mattered to me. I just, there was nothing in this world that I could, I could even focus on. Like the whole time in prison, I'm like, I need to get out. I need to get high. I need to get high. You know, the minute I, I touched down, I'm getting high. And, um, and then I was out for six more months, went back to the same town in California for some reason, cause I thought that'd be a good idea. And the cops saw me and were like, we know you're wanted, like, come on, what are you fucking doing? And I gave him the fake name again, like an idiot. So so loaded. And the guy goes, you're not her. I arrested you last year. You ran from me. I know exactly who you are. And I'm like, fuck. my fucking phone there you go there you go you're sorry god if it's not one thing it's another today with us right all right all right yeah so i my that i got sentenced to prison again i went came out here went back to prison i was only there for three weeks um corona (laughs) covid i don't know but they couldn't see me my um they couldn't uh see me because uh they had 30 days to see me for my parole violation and the courts were only accepting six people at a time. And I was one of the lucky ones that they said, no, we're gonna let you out. And I'm like, what, what do you mean you're gonna let me out? They're like, well, there's this fucking pandemic going on in the world and we can't get you into court. And I'm like, so you're letting me back out on parole. I'm like, you guys know I run every single time. I've ran from probation at least 10 times. I ran from parole twice now and you wanna put me back on parole. They're like, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. I'm like, and I'm, I'm scared. I didn't wanna leave. I was ready to do my two years. I wanted, I wanted, for some reason, this time when I went to prison, I started, well, I went to jail, I should say, because I was in jail for six months before I went to prison. Mm-hmm. So when I went to jail, I like, I started going to classes. I went to parenting class. I went to like substance abuse class. I'd never done any of that before. I don't know why this time was different. I think I was just so sick and tired of like being homeless, living like literally like I'm not, you see my makeup and my nails and like my hair. I'm very like, very, I like looking nice. I remember my ex seeing me walk down the side of the road and I, and I went up to say hi to him. And he's like, look at your feet. My feet were black. Like I was one of those homeless people and I'm not talking shit about homeless people, but I hadn't bathed in like months, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I bathed with like a fucking garden hose in somebody's garden. Like I was, you know, it was bad and it, and it was a sad situation. I, I mean, like I shot out all my veins to where I can't even get an IV. Like I literally was using a muscle uh, needle in my like femoral because I don't have anywhere else to shoot up and it was just it was and dirty needles I didn't care I didn't care what it, who if I found it on the ground if it had a needle I was using it and it was just it's such a sad situation because I know how people are and I know there's people out there like that still and it it hurts my heart because I was like that and I can't believe it now looking back that I would go that like low but I was I would have done anything to get drugs right like anything and that's right. scary rationale it's beyond logic it's it's way beyond anything that anybody who hasn't been an actual addict can understand yeah it's like like that is not who i am like or ever thought i would become like no way looking back and so i don't know i i said this time's different and 
I had a really good mentor in jail in California and she like she just I would talk to her all the time and she, she just like she was like I'm just like you you know she had just she she had, was like addicted she had 11 years clean and I would go to every one of her classes and I just started like really paying attention to what she was saying and one thing that really struck home was she's like your past does not define you who you are and what you've done up to this point does not define who you are going to be or what you are capable of becoming. And then she told me she had gotten her kids back. She lost them till they were adults and they came back to her life. And my son being like 10 at the time, I was like, I, that's one thing I was like, I'm not getting sober if I can't get my son back. You know, I, there's no fucking point. And she goes, you can though, you can, even if it's when they're 18, even if you have to wait till he's an adult, he's going to come back. You're his baby. And that really hit home because no one ever told me that before. You know, they'd be like, oh, you'll get your kids back. You'll win custody back or whatever, you know, but never ever told me like the really reality of the situation is I might not see my kid till he's 18, but when he's 18, I have every right in the world to find him and try and build a relationship with him. And he might not even want that, but there's always hope if I'm good, if I, if I get my shit together. And so I decided to try, you know, um, I had a little bit of clean time. I had three months clean time in jail. And then it built up to, by the time I was getting out of prison, I had seven months, six months. And um, so, and that was the longest I've been sober and got, I can't, since I was probably since I started doing here when I had, had, I'd had three months here, two months here, you know, but never six. And so when I hit that six month mark and they said I was getting out of jail, I completely, it was like God opened the door and was like, you know what? And I called my mom who I hadn't seen in three years. And I asked her if I could live with her. And she said, no, she said, no, I can't. I just can't. And um, it broke my heart, but I understood. Um, mm -hmm. And she goes, but you can move, go to California and live with your sister. Your sister will let you live with her. And my sister, my little sister has seven years clean and she works in a rehab. And um, I said, are you serious? And so I tried, my probation officer said no, but he also said, cause there was no homeless shelters open cause of COVID, nothing was open. He said, go to a motel, pretend you're checking in and I'll write that number down. And then you go do what you have to do. And I was like, huh. thank you. And I went to California. And I went to California and I stayed with my sister and I couldn't get away with anything there. I, I mean, her, her roommates drank and I didn't even want it. You know, I was like, nope, don't even want it. Um, I had broken my teeth in, um, in jail. I fell and hit my head. So I had no front teeth. It was so embarrassing. So I didn't want to leave the house. You know, I'm like, uh, uh, and, um, I called my ex-boyfriend from high school. He, I hadn't seen him in 15 years. Don't know what made me call him. I have no fucking clue what made me call him, but I, it's God shot. Once again, a fucking God shot. <laughs> He came to California that next week. He brought me a phone and he, I explained what I had been through the whole last 15 years. And he said, I have a house in Vegas. Let's get you back in Vegas so you can at least complete parole this time. And I was like, what? He's like, I'll fix your teeth too. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what do you mean? You're just going to do this for me? And he's like, well, let's try and work it out. You know, you know, we both want the same things. Like maybe we, maybe we can make this work. And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. Let's try it. You know, it can't hurt to try it. Um, <clears throat> so I came back out to Vegas. Uh, he um, got my teeth fixed. Um, he, I, I moved in with him and his sister and he, you know, he has a really good job. He has a good house. I ended up getting my license back, which I haven't had in seven years. Um, he, we bought a car together. Um, so I have my name on a car, which I don't think has happened since I was 20 years old. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, like, I, like I just, shit's been, Ever since I, and I say this all the time, like ever since I sat down in prison and I was like, you know what, God, I can't do this anymore on my own. Like I can't, like some days my higher power is God, some days it's the universe. But you know what, at that moment in time, I was praying out to God and it wasn't for my own selfish ends. It was, I can't fucking do this anymore. I cannot control my life. 
Every time I try to take control, I run it into the ground. So guess what? Whatever you want from me, that's what we're going to do because I can't, I just, I, I was so tired. I was just so tired and I wanted a life. I wanted, and um, so I talked to Andrew about getting a lawyer for me to get my son back. I called my kid's father. He let me start seeing him right away when I got out of prison. Let me start seeing him. I was oh, so wow. fucking shocked. Yeah. Um, with him there, you know, but he still, he would let me start seeing him. And so right away I was seeing my son as soon as I got out of prison, something I didn't ever thought would, you know, all I, I didn't even know if I just got clean and picked up the phone that my kid's dad would let me see him. Like that was, that was crazy. You know, like it's just, everything started falling into place. And then I found TikTok, TikTok, you know, and I was like, oh, this is a cool fun app. And I found TikTok recovery and that has changed my fucking life. Yeah. Let me tell you, that has been the doorway to my whole, like the, this whole new chapter in my life has started through TikTok and people talk shit about TikTok. Like, you know, old timers in AA, they're like, yeah, what's this fucking, I'm like, you don't understand. Like the people that they say, after I did my 12 steps, I realized they say that service work is like the spiritual awakening comes from service work, from helping right. the next addict. Right. So instead of me doing my steps, which I kind of did on myself in prison because I was writing and I knew them. So I kind of did them myself in prison. But when I got out, I started going to the service work and, and helping people get into rehab on TikTok. That's what I started doing. And then it started being, you know, celebrating milestones with people. And um, then I found um, a, a meeting, this girl, um, Peep, Peep Disgrace, I think her name is, um, she, mm -hmm. she had Recover Out Loud meeting and a Zoom meeting. And so um, I joined it with her and I started running it with her. So we started running that meeting and now we run that every single day. And then I also found the How It Works group, which is a Zoom meeting out of Palm Springs that does um, group sponsorship. So I, I worked my steps through there and now I help people take people through the steps every day. I take someone through a step, which is beautiful. Yeah, you know, that's really awesome. Such, that is really it's awesome. such a beautiful experience. And it doesn't give, it's so nice because it doesn't give you the um, responsibility of being a one-on-one -on -one sponsor. Like I don't have to, you know, like we work our steps at a certain time every single day after the meeting. And, you know, it's a group thing. Like, and so if you, if you have a problem and you can't get a hold of one person, guess what? You call another person. And then the fifth step is actually done with a pastor who's a recovering alcoholic who, so he can't even tell your deepest, darkest secrets by law you know, like he's bound by law to legally keep your shit to himself. So you don't tell your, your fifth step to people. You tell them to up one person who can't fucking tell anybody. Like we have people who have committed serious crimes that weren't about to tell people, but they were able to tell him. So that's why right. I, like, right. I love it. I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's just, um, yeah. So I, I worked my butt off and I, and I got, I started just, I dove into recovery head first. As soon as I, like a month or two after I got out of prison, I dove into recovery. And it was funny because I even talked to my ex-boyfriend on the phone the day I told him I was getting out of prison. He goes, I go, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that this time. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, you're not getting out and running. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And he's like, so you're leaving me. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, buddy. I'm not going back to that. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I just, and that was my, like my aha moment when I said yeah I, I think I'm gonna do it this time and I haven't looked back since and I can honestly say like there's been triggers here and there like my boyfriend came home with pain pills after his surgery and I looked at him and I was like that'd be nice to and it wasn't the pills it was him being high because I was like well that'd be nice to feel like that but then I got into my and then I called someone and I was like you know why am I feeling like this like I really don't want to feel like that like I really right, don't right in all actuality I just remember because my mind goes back to the you know 
how it, I used to think it felt so good, but really it doesn't, it does. It's not, once you get a clear head and like actually like get that spirituality back in you, it's just, I don't know how or when it happened, but I don't even, I don't even want to use or drink or any of that anymore. And yeah, I just, I'm constantly the thought and of, of the high and remembering how good the high felt. It's where did that high take me? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to fucking not be high and I'm going to be pissed off. Cause I'm fucking, like, yeah, oh, no. I'm going to feel like shit and I'm going to have guilt and yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I feel so, uh, dude, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, thank God I don't have to fucking run around. Like, I mean, thank God I'm not waking up dope sick. Thank God I don't have to run and go chase drugs all day. Cause that's all you do. Like right. it consumes right. your entire life. It really and does. It, it becomes your life. It becomes everything. You know, it well, steals yeah. everything. You know, and the last thing it steals is, you know, ourselves. Yeah. No, I, it's so, it's so insane. So, so tell us yeah. who you are now. How I know. now? How much clean time do you have? I have 15 months sober. Woo! And I have joint legal custody of my son back, which is I am now legally his mother again um, on paper, which means I can med make medical decisions, school decisions, um, any kind of decisions. When I'm when he's with me, I'm allowed to make decisions for him. Um, awesome. I I have supervised visits twice a week. Um, I'm I have a drug patch on that monitors me at all times, um, and I go back to court in April to do unsupervised, and then hopefully I'm never. My lawyer said I'm never going to get half and half, which is fine. I never expected that, but she said, I will have him by myself when this is over, when, when we're done with this whole process, she said, I will have him at least weekends, two weekends a month or something, which is fine. I never expected to be gone seven years and come back and be, you know, his mom full time. I mean, that's just not realistic, but you know, right. as long as I have a relationship with him, that's all that matters. And he, he hasn't called me mom in eight years. And his dad, when his dad and me were, were watching him together, he wasn't allowed to call me mom. He was supposed to call me that lady or Jamie. So now when we're alone together, cause my mom supervises. So now when we're alone together, he calls me mom and it's the best feeling in the world. I wouldn't trade it for any amount of drugs ever. And again, like I, it's when I hear mom in the storm, like, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even like, um, respond to it. Cause it's so new, but it's right? like, it's, it's the best. Like it now, really who didn't is. want him. Who didn't want him calling you mom? His dad. Ah, okay. Yeah. His dad, his dad didn't expect me to stay sober. So his dad, um, let me see him every weekend for the first four, four months when I was out of prison. And then, um, when I got off parole, when I completed parole successfully and I stayed sober, his dad was like, what's going on? And his dad pulled the plug on the visits and said, you can't see him anymore. And um, so I was like, well, we're going to go to court. He goes, well, I would love to see what a judge has to say. And I said, that's fine. And so I got a lawyer and I took him to court and the judge said, so you let her see him. And then you pulled the plug for what? And he didn't have a good reason. I mean, it was, it literally was over. Oh, her, she bought him head, her sister bought him headphones for her, his birthday and they were too expensive. And the judge says, are you you're that's disrespect. You're you're disrespecting me right now by saying this. That you stopped contact of your child and his mother because of headphones that the aunt bought. The mom didn't even buy, and it was a big mess in court. And I I I won. Like I wasn't even supposed to get two days a week, but she gave me two days a week. She was like, you know what? I'm gonna give you two days. She was mad. So I was like, all right, sounds good to me. So he's not too happy about it. He's been posting on Facebook saying he's gonna get a new attorney, but the judges already has her mind made up. We've already. 
been there. So I'm just, I'm just excited to be a mom again. And I started school for drug and alcohol counseling. So yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, what school are you going to? Um, it's the community college out here, out here in Nevada. You have to have your bachelor's to do like the actual counseling, but mm -hmm. it says if you're enrolled in school, you can become a, um, drug and alcohol counseling intern mm -hmm. if you're enrolled. And so I'm, I, I'll, I'll have my associates by the, by this year. So I just need to like, what, two more years of school or something after that. And then, so I'm figuring if I go work as like an intern somewhere or work for a rehab, I don't even care what I'm doing, a house manager or anything. I just want to work in recovery. I just want to work with, with other struggling addicts and show them that like, literally you can come from like nothing, have like horrible trauma and, and come back from it. Like, I don't regret anything I did because I get to walk someone else through it. Like I love stopping homeless people on the side of the road and giving them change and going, I was in your shoes a year and a half ago. I know what that feels like. And pulling up in my Range Rover, you know, with my makeup done, like you could have this too. You just gotta fucking like, I mean, like the promises come true. Like they do. And it's just, it's just, you gotta like, I don't know, believe and give your will to God and, and understand that you can't fucking control your life anymore. Cause I, when I control my life, I end up in prison. That's where that's shown me. God showed me that numerous times, you know, when like I, take I, the wheel, I drive straight to prison. <laughs> right. Exactly. That seriously, it's like, that's what my life's been like the last like fucking six years. And it's just, yeah, like we were talking about, I don't keep anything from my son. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's proud of me. He goes on TikTok and all my friends on TikTok say stuff to him. And he's like, I know I'm proud of my mom. So it's just good to hear that. It's good to hear that I'm finally doing something right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And your, your story is definitely going to help some people. Uh, I knew it was going to be a good one because I mean, you guys <laughs> crazy. <don't understand>. <laughs> internet went down or okay. First I was late. Then the internet went down then, which has never happened before the camera wouldn't work. And then suddenly like Jamie can't hear me for some reason. <laughs> Then my phone wants to go haywire. <laughs> and the universe is coming at you that hard. It it's you know you know there's a story in there that uh, something doesn't want doesn't want out there. So that's awesome. I'm so glad that um, you came on here and you know shared your story and everything. And um, you know I just think we're all really blessed to have heard it. I really Thank do. You. You are I'm sure blessed to have lived through it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so don't forget, you guys, if you like what you heard, there's plenty more. So make sure that you like and subscribe. Leave any questions that you have for Jamie in the comments. And when you do subscribe, make sure you let us know so that we can interact with you and thank you and everything else. So that's going to do it for us for this episode of the recovery scene, but we will definitely be back and we will see you next time. All right.